And we now come to have a look at the Word um, in preparation for Anna coming to bring us the message. We're going to be reading uh, four passages in Acts, just moving quickly through from Acts 1, um, verses 4 to 8, through to Acts 2, uh, 38, 47. So you can follow that through on with me on the screen, um, or if you have your Bibles with me, follow there as well. So beginning in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 8, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And moving to chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then verses 14 to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." And 38 to 47, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So good to be with you again today. I got emotional watching those videos of the baptisms. It's so inspiring to be reminded of the joy that it is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Anna. I have been here a few times before, but that was sort of pre-COVID, so it's nice to be back after a little bit of a hiatus. And it's a privilege to be with you this morning in the series that you're looking at. I wanted to start with a quote from a man named Barney Swartz. And he's been the religion reporter for The Age for a number of decades. And he says this, he says, Typically the media reported on only three stories about the church. Priests molesting children, the church in decline, or the church's outdated views holding back women and gays. The church has received a lot of bad press in the media, whether it's because of football jerseys or something happening in the politics or a leader that has fallen from grace. It's very rare that our society and culture is applauding the church. So I love that you are doing this series about what is the church because now more than ever, We need to rewrite the narrative. We need to not be listening to the media, the broadcast media, the print media, social media, and we need to look at the truth, the word of God. Because the church may not be perfect, but it is part of God's perfect plan. It may be broken, But it's also beautiful. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. As you've been learning in this series, it's God's house. It's his building. It's his field. It's his beautiful church. And as we're going to look at today, it is also the place of his spirit. We're going to ask the question, what does it look like to be a spirit-filled church? What does it look like in the past, in the present, and in the future? So I'm looking forward to diving in with you today. If you do have your Bible, we'll be spending most of our time in Acts 2. Thanks to Warren for reading that out. But let me once again just briefly pray for us and then we'll dive in. Dear God, I thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is here with us. He dwells within each of us. I pray today that your word would go out, that it would not return void as you promise, and that your Holy Spirit would deepen that word within our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, of righteousness, Lord God, and of salvation. We commit this time to you. Please speak to each of us for the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since I've last been here, I've added to my family, you can put the photo on the screen, I now have three little boys, and I have um, Hunter, who's my six-year-old, who's at the bottom, that little head, and Judah, my four-year-old on my husband's back, and then Harry, who's my almost two-year-old, who I'm carrying. So I have three boys, which sometimes gets pity from outsiders, but it is a lot of chaos and fun at our house. And so obviously I have been pregnant three times. Now I know falling pregnant can carry a lot of emotion for people. It's not always an easy journey. Some people struggle to get pregnant. But one of the things that I found about 
pregnancy was the lack of control that I had. I remember for my very first son, they said, okay, well, this is your due date. I said, great. So I started getting organized and they said, but he could come sort of two weeks after that or two weeks earlier than that. We don't really know. It's just a bit of a guess. Now, for someone who likes to be very organized and in control, I found this very difficult. I said, what do you mean? It's just a guess. They said, well, we just sort of have this general idea, but basically very few people have the actual baby on the due date. I thought, okay, this isn't really helping me. And for each of my children, they really kept me on my toes. So my first child, he was about a week early, which meant we weren't quite ready and my husband almost missed his birth. He was out of range in Bathurst and finally came in range. Some of you may have heard from the podcast, he's a fly fisherman, so he was deep in the bush. Finally came into range with tens of dozens of phone calls and messages and it's gone into the labor, get to the hospital. So, you know, he's driving straight to get there for the birth of his first child. My second son came two and a half weeks early and so my husband completely missed his birth. He was on a plane flying from Argentina, oblivious that I was giving birth to our second child. Finally, we got our act sorted and my third child, where everyone told me he would definitely be early, he was right on his due date and I'm pleased to say my husband did make it to that birth after lots of jokes from family and friends by that time around. But... After waiting nine months, after literally being laden and heavy with expectation, I remember this feeling of knowing that soon I was going to give birth, but not really knowing when. I was nervous and excited. I remember with my first child, I'd finished up work and I was just waiting. I was just waiting for sort of something to happen. There was nothing that I could do. I remember buying pineapple and going on a walk to sort of initiate this baby to come, but I didn't really have any control. I was nervous, I was excited, and I was waiting. And that is where the disciples find themselves in Acts chapter 1. They've gone through this roller coaster of living with Jesus, walking alongside with him, hearing his teaching, eating with him, sleeping beside him, watching his amazing miracles, hearing him speak. They've gone through the horrendous pain of watching him be crucified. The Gospels tell us that all of them fled when he was arrested. Then they've seen with awe and amazement as he was raised back to life. He appeared to them numerous times over a period of 40 days, once again eating with them, speaking with them. And now we find in Acts chapter 1 that he has one final message to give to them before he is taken up to heaven. As was read to us earlier in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, It says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He continues in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And then he goes up into the clouds. Their excitement must have been palpable. Lots of the promises from Jesus are vague and general. It's like one day I'm going to come back. One day there's going to be an inheritance. But this is very specific. He says a few days from now, the Holy Spirit will come. And he'll come with power. 
They were anticipating this moment and so they just had to wait in Jerusalem, waiting for this moment to come. And eventually, just like on Christmas morning, the day does come. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Imagine that. 120 of these believers all gathered for for Pentecost. It was this festival of weeks where people came together in a significant moment in the Jewish calendar. It came to be the time where they were celebrating the moment that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And it was at this moment that God decided to give his spirit to the believers The day was already full of expectation, thick with anticipation. And as they sat there, the sound of a rushing wind filled the entire house. Can you imagine a rushing wind coming through, filling your ears with noise? I wonder as they sat there if the disciples remembered the time when Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3 about the wind and the spirit when he was speaking with Nicodemus. I wonder if they remembered in the Old Testament in Exodus that it was a strong east wind that God used to push back the Red Sea to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. I wonder if those believers remembered in their Old Testament from Ezekiel and Samuel and Job where God's presence was all signified by storms and wind and his breath. I wonder if those things were swirling around in their minds as the wind was swirling through the house. The promise of the Holy Spirit was being fulfilled. But it wasn't just the wind The next verse says, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, this analogy of fire is heavy with meaning. John the Baptist says in Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I wonder if that verse was going around in their heads as they were seeing these tongues of fire divided on top of each person's head. I wonder if they were remembering when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I wonder if they remembered the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert as God took them to the promised land. Both the wind and the fire was laden with meaning, It signified God's presence, his leading. And that's exactly what was going on. It says next that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, that was the significant thing. 
When the fire came, it wasn't a big ball of fire at the top of the house. It wasn't a pillar of fire. It wasn't a burning bush in the front yard. There were tongues of fire on each one of their heads. And what God was saying was that no longer was the Spirit going to come through one prophet. No longer was God just revealing himself to Moses or Isaiah or Ezekiel. The Spirit was going into each one of these believers. They were each being filled. So that each of these believers, each of the disciples, you and I could now have our own relationship with God. We don't need to go through a priest. We don't need to go through a prophet. We don't need to go through some sort of ritual in order to get to God. The Holy Spirit lives within each one of us. And that's what happened to these believers. Now, what was the result of them being filled with the Spirit? It says they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, obviously, when we hear the word tongues, we often think of the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14 too. He says, For one who speaks in tongue, in a tongue, speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, of course, that is a spiritual gift Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. But interestingly, here in 1 Corinthians, he says that tongues is when no one understands him. But what's spoken about here seems to be quite different. In verse 6 of Acts chapter 2, it says that after the sound of all this activity, all these 120 people speaking in all of these different languages, of course they attracted some attention. And so a great crowd came together and they were bewildered because, verse 6 says, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. See, what had happened at that time, the day of Pentecost, is that people had traveled from all over all people who had come from different places with different native tongues. And then all of a sudden they hear these people, these 120 believers, speaking in this diversity of languages. People from all different parts of the world were hearing their languages being spoken. Again, in verse 8, they ask, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Again, in verse 11, they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So rather than these believers speaking in tongues when no one understands them, it's the opposite. They're actually being understood. They're declaring the mighty works of God in each of these native languages. So something else than the gift of speaking in tongues is happening here. It's a miraculous sign that the Spirit has come. There is wind, there is fire, there is the miraculous speaking in different languages so people can proclaim the work of God. But at this moment, after observing this incredible work of God, we have to ask, why did the Spirit come? Why did these 120 believers have this miraculous moment come? Why did the Holy Spirit fill them? Why did God choose to work in this way? And Luke writes a very interesting thing at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. He says at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Dear Theophilus, In my last book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do. And what he's implying as he's writing to the honoured and esteemed Theophilus is that in his other book, Luke, he wrote about the ministry of Jesus. 
But in this next book, in Acts, he's going to write about what Jesus is continuing to do. Now, how is that possible? In the very first chapter of Acts, Luke himself writes about how Jesus is taken up to heaven in the clouds. It's witnessed by all of the disciples. So how can Luke be writing about what Jesus is continuing to do in his ministry? Well, of course, the answer is clear. Jesus is continuing his ministry through his disciples, through the spirit within his disciples. And that's the marvelous news, is that Jesus is still continuing his ministry today by the spirit dwelling within each one of us. We continue the work of Jesus. We don't do his ministry because of something within us. We do it because of the infilling and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happens. See, Jesus had told his disciples in the chapter before, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why was the Father giving them the Spirit? So that they would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. See, often we can separate the Spirit and the Word. We can separate our spiritual experience with God, our emotional engagement and connection with him with our reading of the word, our intellectual connection. But throughout the Bible, they're always together. Jesus says, worship me in spirit and in truth. Here, Jesus says, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit so that you will go out and preach my word. The Holy Spirit prompts us to preach the word and then the word is made effective by the work of the spirit. The spirit and the word always go together. And part of the reason that Jesus left the Spirit for his disciples was for them to go and be his witnesses, to continue his work. And that's exactly what happens next. After this amazing work of God where the Spirit has come, Peter then stands up. He clears his throat and in a loud voice he begins to address the crowd. Now we have to remember who this Peter is. It wasn't long before that Peter had said to Jesus, I will never deny you. I will stand by you forever. Peter was the one, the outspoken one, who was always first to appease Jesus, who was always first to declare his loyalty and commitment. He was the one who sliced off the soldier's ear when they tried to arrest Jesus. But he was also the one who denied him three times. He was also the one who couldn't even stay beside Jesus when he needed him the most. Yet this same man stands up before a crowd of thousands of people ready to declare to them the truth of Jesus. And this is not a seeker-friendly sermon. Let me read some of it to you. He says in verse 15, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter is saying, no, these people who were walking around speaking different languages, they're not drunk. Actually, this is a fulfillment of what God had promised and spoken through his prophets hundreds of years ago. He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is declaring the magnificent news that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is ushering in a new age, a new covenant where God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. As we said before, he's not just revealing himself to the prophets or the kings. He's having a relationship with all men and women, young and old, servant and master. But again, this is no warm and cuddly sermon. Peter was not trying to dial down the message to get more followers. There was no free barbecue or jumping castle to try to get more people to come to his church. He says in verse 32, this, this Jesus delivered up according to the plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter is not beating around the bush. And in case they hadn't got the message, he says again in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter, who couldn't even declare that he knew Jesus to a servant girl, is now telling thousands of people, you killed the Son of God. Where does such boldness and confidence come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. This was the fruit of him being filled with the Holy Spirit, that the man who couldn't even stand up for Jesus, who he said he would never deny, is now able to preach to thousands the truth of God. As some of you may have heard, I have started a new job at an organization called Open Doors, and they work with the persecuted church. And I have just been humbled and amazed at how many Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith. I'm humbled by the stories of faith that these people, how they endure, the cost that they pay to follow Jesus. And one story, which was a little bit close to home, is about a girl named Leah Sharabu. On the 19th of February in 2018, Boko Haram, an Islamic terrorist organization in Nigeria, captured 100 schoolgirls in Nigeria. Leah Shirabu was one of those. Within a month, all 100 of those girls were returned to their families, except for Leah. And why was she any different? Because she refused to deny her faith in Jesus Christ. And what makes this story even more compelling is that Leah was only 15 years old. She managed to write a letter to her mother at the time and she said, although they were threatening me with everything you can imagine, although they told me that I could go home and be in your arms if I would only deny Jesus, 
She said, there was something within me that said I could never deny my saviour and my Lord. Leah is still, still being held by Boko Haram. She's still the only one of those girls who haven't been sent home. And those kind of stories make me wonder, what would I do in that situation? I can't even imagine holding out like that. I would just want to go home to my family. But where does that boldness and that faith come from? Even for a 15-year-old girl to say, I cannot deny my Lord and my God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And how do we as believers walk out our faith when all of the odds are against us? How do we continue to walk with integrity in our workplaces when people are against us, when they're accusing us, when they're speaking badly against us, when everything is telling us to just stop walking the way of integrity? It's the Holy Spirit. How do we continue with relationships that are draining, that are pulling us apart? How do we keep loving when we feel like we have nothing left? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. How can we be bold with our friends and our family when they think that our faith is foolishness? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was their response to Peter's sermon? Well, it says in verse 37 that they were cut to the heart. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them the verse that was quoted by one of the people being baptized last week. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. A miraculous event has happened. The disciples have watched Jesus being taken up to heaven, and now the Spirit has come down today. But what are we to do with that? Is that what we are to expect in our encounter with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we as Christians meant to be looking out for the sound of rushing wind or flames of fire? How are we to encounter being filled by the Holy Spirit? And it's at this point that we need to step back from this moment in time and have a look at the whole of Acts and almost the whole of the New Testament to say, what was the experience of believers at that time? Was this moment where the 120 believers experienced, was that descriptive or prescriptive? Is this a normal experience? Is this a consistent experience for the believers? How are we to view it? And as we do step back, we can see that there are so many different ways that people come to faith in the New Testament. So many different ways that they encounter God and the Holy Spirit. And as we look at each of those examples, it's clear that our experience should be much more aligned with the 3,000 believers at the end of Acts 2 than the 120 at the beginning of it. So let me read to you again what Peter says to those believers. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I heard it explained in regard to this passage that if you can imagine that a town had never had access to clean water and then one day it was set up so that a well was able to provide water to all of the homes in that town and there was one day where all of a sudden they turned the taps on and the water was overflowing in each of their homes. There was much rejoicing and praise and the water was flowing abundantly. 
It was a significant milestone when that water was turned on for that town. But from then on, every time that a new house was built, that a new family moved in, they were all automatically connected to the water source. And the same is true for this moment in Pentecost. God in his providence and the fulfillment of what was spoken about in Joel decided for the spirit to come down in this miraculous way for those 120 believers. And now we as the body and family and church of Christ, we get to connect into that water source. When we repent and believe, we too are filled by the Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So what does it look like to be a Spirit-filled church? It looks like the boldness that Peter had to preach the gospel and the truth. It looks like what this gathering has embraced this morning and what it talks about in Ephesians 5, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. It looks like the community at the end that's described in Acts 2, where they were all in awe and amazement, sharing their belongings with one another, supporting one another. There's this outward-facing and inward-facing element of the church that is filled by the Spirit. Outward in that they're always bold in wanting to preach the good news and inward in always caring for those who are within the community. And Ephesians 1.14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on the inheritance we will receive. And so for now, gathering as a Spirit-filled church is just a taste of what we're going to experience in the days to come. It's just a taste of what is ahead. And Don Carson, when he was speaking about the day of Pentecost, he suggests that in heaven, everyone will be speaking their native tongue. Chinese speaking Chinese, English speaking English, Aussie speaking Aussie. And he says, we won't need to worry about how we're going to communicate with one another because we'll have plenty of time to learn all of the languages. And regardless of what language we'll be speaking, what nation we'll come from, how people respond when we say Aussie, 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 we know in heaven that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in all of their beautiful fullness will be there as one God being worshipped by his people and his church. And it will be people from every tribe, nation and tongue filled by the Spirit. And that is the true picture of the church. Thank you.